I love that. Uh, I've seen that video three times already this morning, and every time I see something new, like the different ways they're dressed and uh, some of the deep sincerity that they express. Uh, well done, Joe Cutshaw and others. That was great. Um, before we begin, another announcement. We had a death in the church of an old uh, First Press member and friend. He was 80. His name was Chuck Thulin. Uh, his service will be this coming Wednesday at 10 a.m., right here in the sanctuary. So uh, take note of that. Well, we are continuing this morning in a sermon series called Red Carpets. We're looking at godly hospitality. We're studying how important this theme is in the Bible, but also how important it is and how challenging for us as God's followers. So we've been looking at a variety of texts, and today we look at two more. The first one is from Hebrews 13. It's at the very last chapter of this uh, anonymous letter. We don't know who wrote it. But in a series of exhortations or instructions, we read this. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We think this is a reference to our next text, Genesis chapter 18, where uh, God appears to Abraham in the form of three visitors. And um, we are going to hear it now. Genesis 18, verse 1. <clears throat> the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you all may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would take these texts and through now the preaching of your word, uh, enliven them, make them real in our experience, and help us leave this place a bit more transformed than when we arrived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've ever come to one of the classes I've taught here at First Press, you know by now that I really like words. I'm an old English major from Cal Berkeley, and words are important. I love to know about them and their origins. And so I couldn't help but look into the word hospitality. Hospitality, where is that from? What's it about? Hospitality is from a Latin root, hospes, which means host or guest or even stranger. Our word hospital originally meant a guest chamber or an inn. And words like hospitality, hospice, hostel, and even hotel all have this root. It's an interesting word. It's full of all kinds of meaning. And so I thought I'd go a step further and study 
other cultures, ancient and modern, to see what they thought about the word hospitality. And this is what I learned. In ancient Greece, hospitality was a right. Some Greeks believed that hospitality was a duty inspired by the god Zeus himself. In ancient Egypt, it was believed that hospitality earned eternal life. For the Romans, hospitality was a sacred duty. In India and Nepal to this day, hospitality is based on an idea that literally means the guest is God. Stories are told there where a guest is revealed to be a God who rewards the provider of hospitality. In Afghanistan, the Pashtun tribe is known for their code of melmastia, which is to honor and bring in a guest regardless of their creed and regardless of their religion, and the Pashtun will fight to their death to defend their guests. In Islam, the Quran also has the story of Abraham that we just read. For Islam, hospitality is triangular. It involves the host, the guest, and God. And hospitality is a right rather than a gift, and it is a way to serve God. These other ancient cultures have preserved the centrality of hospitality in a way that our modern Western culture doesn't seem to have done. For us, in our independence and our individualism, hospitality has taken a back burner. It's kind of become a blind spot for us. Or we've we've sort of subbed it out to the hospitality industry. And so perhaps we need to be re-educated about hospitality and its centrality for all of us, but also specifically for Christians. And if we're going to learn this together, I think it's going to take courage. Courage to uh, be stretched beyond our comfort zone. It's going to take humility to recognize that we don't always do this very well. And it's going to take a teachable spirit so that we can learn and grow together. As you know by now, we, your pastors, are learning just as much as you are. Uh, We don't always get it right, and we are our fellow strugglers. So what then do our scriptures have to say to us today about hospitality? Well, I I think we need to begin by focusing on Abraham. Abraham's this preeminent example of wonderful hospitality. And did you notice how urgent it was? Uh, That that sense of urgency is all over the Genesis 18 text. It says, in fact, that Abraham hurried three times, that he even ran. Now, some of you know that in the ancient Near East, if you're an older, dignified person, you don't do these things unless it's extremely urgent. Most people would be stately and slow. But Abraham hurried, he ran. Quick, he says to Sarah, go and prepare. And then he says three sias of fine flour. This is lavish, it turns out. I had no idea. But you know, three sias, it's 36 pounds of flour. Now, I'm not a baker, but I think that must be an awful lot of bread, don't you? Uh, It it was a a huge celebration that Abraham threw for these three mysterious visitors. But most importantly, Abraham looked up and saw. He looked up and saw the visitors. And that, I think, is his greatest gift to us this morning. And we'll think about that in just a moment. But let's think about Hebrews 13, verse 1. There we read, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Literally, it says, let Philadelphia continue. Philadelphia, the love of brothers and sisters, let it continue. Now, why do you have to say continue? Because they, just like we, are in danger of forgetting to do it. And um, 
but discontinuing it. So let it continue. Let Philadelphia continue. In verse 13, chapter 13, verse 2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Literally, do not forget philozenia. As Jane taught us last week, philozenia is in two parts. Philo, which means to love, and xenia, or xenos, which is the stranger. Hospitality is love of the stranger. I thought about it. I thought the word we're more familiar with today is unfortunately xenophobia, which is a fear of the stranger. And God, I think, is calling all of us, especially right now in this time in our history, to be people of philoxenia, love of the stranger. And then the verse concludes with these words in the King James, for some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, there may be more to your guests than meets the eye. You never know exactly who they are. So how are we going to bring this home? How are we going to make this practical and have it become part of our lives? Well, I have to begin with a personal confession. This whole subject of hospitality has been challenging for me. It's been hard because I don't think I do it very well. I was raised in a family where hospitality uh, wasn't widely practiced. My parents might have entertained a bit when, when I was younger, but there was always a sense of stress around it trying to get things just right. And I have shared that I'm a perfectionist by nature, and I'm struggling to overcome this. By that I mean I I, I feel compelled to do things really well, and if I don't, I feel a sense of shame around that. And what I'm learning about hospitality is I mustn't let the perfect become the enemy of the good. I've got to be a learner. I've got to be able to take steps toward this in my life. And so what I did, actually, I I thought about some of you. Some of you I know are really good at hospitality. And um, what I did is I returned to this whole notion of spiritual gifts. You know about spiritual gifts, right? Uh, God has gifted, the Bible says, every believer in Jesus with one or more gifts for service or ministry. Lots of places teach this. And there are ways you can discover your gifts by taking a survey. And so what I did is I went to our church website, went up to the top right-hand corner, clicked on Serve, drop-down menu, clicked on Equip Connect Serve, and there was an inventory of spiritual gifts and a test I could take, and I took it this past week. It asked me 69 questions, uh, about 23 different spiritual gifts. And so I quickly took it. It only took five minutes. I urge you to take that test this week, if you haven't done so already, to find out what your gifts are. But here's what I learned. Out of 23 gifts, for me, hospitality was number 12. That doesn't mean I'm totally bad at it, but also means I'm not really that good at it. And I'll tell you what, it was freeing for me because I realized, you know what, this isn't my gift. And I don't have all the gifts. Of course I don't. But some of you do. But regardless of our gifting, we're all called to show hospitality to the stranger. And so we're in this learning mode. I'm in this learning mode. And some of you are too. I uh, remember when I got to seminary years ago, I was so excited to take classes from this rock star theologian. I knew about him. He was from Great Britain. And on the first day of class, he said something I'll never forget. He said, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Think about that. You probably expected, as I expected originally, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing well. That's not what he said. 
If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Meaning that if something is so good and important to do, even if we do it badly, that's okay. Do it anyway. Love this quote from John Ortberg, pastor of Menlo Church in the Bay Area. Ortberg uh, says this. He riffs on Mother Teresa's famous quote. He says, If you can't do great things, Mother Teresa used to say, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. If you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. Love grows when people serve. Right? I mean, uh, we are in the learning mode, and that's a good thing. I think this is what Jesus meant when he talked about the cup of cold water. Do you remember that? Jesus said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. I may not be able to cook a multiple-course meal, but I can give a cup of cold water, and so can you. We need to take steps. And learning for uh, us about hospitality, I think it's a journey. It's a journey of humility. We've got to recognize we're not all going to do it that well. We've got to take the journey, and it involves repentance. Some of us may not even want to do this. Maybe we're sick of the subject, but still, God is at work in us. We repent, and we let him work us, work in us. Some of us uh, need to surrender, just to say, Lord, lead me and teach me. And so it's a journey for us. It's a journey, I think, that begins with seeing. Seeing. Abraham's, we learned, looked up and saw the guests who were right before him. It's a special kind of seeing, and Jesus spoke about this. In Matthew 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, he talked about how the sheep, the righteous ones, saw people and served them, and the the wicked ones, the goats, did not. And Jesus said this, He talked about the sheep being surprised. He said, then those sheep, the righteous people, are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. What Jesus is challenging us to do is to see with his eyes. To put on Jesus' glasses and to see the the guest, the visitor, the stranger in our midst. You know, something happens to you when you turn 50. Your eyes start to go bad. Can I get an amen? Yeah, you, you begin to have trouble seeing things close up. And so as a result, you have to hold them at a distance. Ever see someone do that? Ever do that yourself? There's a name for this. It's called presbyopia. Presbyopia, the the eyesight of the elderly. And I think a lot of churches have presbyopia. They have trouble seeing the visitor right up close. The visitor who is in the checkout line at the grocery store or at the gas pump or at the table in the residence hall or just the person you met serving you at a restaurant. Uh, We have presbyopia, and we need to see with Jesus' eyes, Jesus' glasses. And my wife, Rupali, really helps me to do that. She's, to me, a moving example of this type of eyesight. Rupali works at a local high school, and there she runs a student support center for students who are placed there because of academic and social-emotional challenges. 
She told me that back in early December, she was called to a meeting with administrators to inform her of a new student arriving in her classroom the next day. The administrators told her that this new freshman was failing all his classes. He was also extremely shut down and angry. Students stayed away from him because he'd pick fights. He was aggressive at home. And when he visited her classroom the very next day, he was tightly wound, full of rage, just simmering beneath the surface. Over the next three months as she got to know him, Rupali heard his story. Each day as he came into her classroom, she would greet him at the door and save him a comfortable chair and offer him a cup of tea. And over time as she did this, she got to know him. She heard his story. He had lost his dad, his mentor, his hero, his role model. And his grief and his loss had made him a raging young man struggling to cope. And while it was tempting for administrators and teachers to write him off as an angry, explosive young person, there was so much more to him. And Rupali was now able to see him become more open to others and engage in conversation. The point is we need to see with Jesus' glasses, Jesus' eyes. As 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, The Lord does not look on the outward appearance as human beings do, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what we're being asked to do, what we're being challenged to do. Sometimes at first press we get this right, sometimes we get it wrong. Just this past week, a staff person shared with me about a new visitor on Sunday mornings, a, a man who dresses a little unusually and has been mistaken apparently for a homeless person. And this person was expressing sadness because our people weren't greeting him and reaching out to him. And so sometimes we get it wrong. But sometimes we get it right. Uh, spoke to a deacon this past week who was at the deacon's closet uh, sharing a a gift of uh, clothing with people in need. And one of the homeless clients came to this person and said this, said, First Press is different from any other church in this town. They see us and welcome us. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. C.S. Lewis is a favorite author of many of us. Uh, he preached a sermon called The Weight of Glory where he said this about the people we meet. He said, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You just never know who that person you're welcoming is. So we need to learn to see, to see, with these eyes. But then we need some helpful hints, some practical suggestions. We're always needing those. And so this week, or this past week, as I looked around, I found a, a lovely blog uh, that's run by a woman named Johanna called My Home Tableau. And here's what she says about hospitality. I'm learning that hospitality is listening more than talking, caring more about the person that dropped by than the mess in the house laughing with your guests or crying with them, listening to their heart, sharing from your heart, being vulnerable, having a safe environment for others to be vulnerable, being authentic, genuinely and deeply caring about people, asking more questions than answering, being genuinely interested in what interests others, 
Having a guest leave feeling like they have taken a deep breath of fresh air when they are in your home. Caring more about people than schedules. And then she concludes with a quote on the bulletin today. Being hospitable is more than putting food on a table, though that is a big part. Hospitality is a disposition. Don't worry about having to write all this down. I'm going to send an email out to you tomorrow, uh, and uh, it'll be on there for you to look at then. But it seems to me that, especially for those of us who struggle with this theme of hospitality, we need to learn how to walk before we can run. And it begins with taking steps. Back in 1991, there was a funny movie called What About Bob? Did anybody see that movie? A number of you did. You remember then that Bill Murray played Bob, this deeply neurotic guy who was driving everyone, including his psychiatrist, crazy. Psychiatrist Richard Dreyfuss is meeting with Bob in his office and wants to share some practical suggestions to help him improve, but also just to get him out of his office. Let's watch this clip. Bob, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see, when you see the title, exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. Baby step around the office. <laughs> Baby step around the office. We need, to learn, we need to learn to walk before we can run. And when it comes to hospitality, baby steps. I wonder what steps you can take this week. I wonder how with the Jesus glasses put on, you'll be able to see people in your midst and be able to take those little steps to welcome them, offer the cup of cold water, take baby steps uh, toward this hospitality. Let me pray for you and then we'll move to the table. Lord, we're grateful that you welcome us always, but especially in communion with open arms. That you have spread this feast for us and you have welcomed us uh, unworthy as we are with your great love. And so we pray for one another and ask that, Lord, we would be marked by this type of warmth and hospitality, much more so, and that you would help us take steps even this week to see with your eyes, to, to embrace with your arms and to love those people you send to us. We ask this in your name. Amen.